we're here today with Nate Brower or Real Estate Nate, hashtag the Clarington Kid. Um, <laughs> we're super excited to chat with him today. So before we even get started, Nate, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? We know that you're number two in KW Canada, you're number two in your area as well from all brokerages. So give us a little glimpse into your life. Yeah, hey there. So, hey, Anna, thanks for having me and, and Mike as well. Uh, happy to be here. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Nate Brower. I am a real estate agent here in Durham Region with Keller Williams Energy. I've been doing it for about just over five years. I started in August 2015. I started with Keller Williams right from the get go. And I am an individual agent that's been doing it for about five and a half years. And I think think I'm right around in that time 250 homes sold so um, you know just trying to build my business more each year um, yeah and, and been able to, to find some success and excited to see what the future uh, future holds and brings. Great so we're uh, really excited to chat with you learn a little bit more about your business from what we see online you're definitely a rising star so want to keep our eyes on um can, can you just tell us a little bit about your business like where you're at in terms of volume gci what that looks like for you yeah so um so 2016 was my first full calendar year i think that year i sold 29 homes and i did about 220,000 gci which for me was like life-changing before i got into real estate i had never made more than i think 35 or 40 thousand dollars in a year so that was really an eye-opener for me and it really kind of motivated me to you know try and do better the next year so 2017 i think i did around 43 transactions or sales and because 475 GCI that year, um, <clears throat> 2018 um, was about 50 sales. And I did, I think that year is 525 GCI. And then last year was my best year that I had yet. I did 72 transactions and 865,000 GCI. And this year I'm right around 60 because the prices have actually gone up and I'm sure in your market as well, I'm sitting right around the same GCI that I did last year, which is interesting. It's been a roller coaster ride. As you guys know, April was, it was kind of a ghost town. There wasn't much happening. I wasn't, you know, and wasn't really sure how this year was going to play out. <clears throat> and then it's just been crazy the last, the last few months. So I had the, it's a weird year. I had the slowest April I've ever had, which is usually the busiest, time of the year, if you will. And then I've had the busiest July, August, uh, and even probably September that I've ever had. So we kind of lost some ground and made up some ground, but it's been interesting, uh, to say the least and, and quite the journey. Yeah, I think, uh, April was the same thing everywhere in Hamilton too. Sales just came to a halt. Everyone was terrified about yeah. this virus, Yeah. but then May interest rates go down. People become more comfortable. Prices skyrocket. Yeah. Um, so it's been been fun times for us ever since that. Who could have thought that would have been what was coming too, right? No. <laughs> uh, I sold my own personal home in early June. And I was like, I remember being at the time like, oh, let's get it up. I feel like the market's like heating up right now. And how long is this going to last for? And then like, you know, looking back on it three months later, you're like, oh, mm -hmm. I just waited 30 to 60 days probably 100%. like 40 grand. Right. But 
you can't look back on it and nobody knows, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. constantly trying to predict what's going to happen. Um, I, I think anybody, your guess is as good as mine, especially in this year. It's been unpredictable to say the least, right? So for sure. I did the exact same thing. I sold in, <laughs> I think I actually sold in April. I was terrified of COVID and what it was going to do to the market. So I let it go. But yeah, I know. Waited, I but hey, what can you do? Knows, right. Who knows? Right. So. Who knows what's to come even, right? Yeah, mm. for sure. Your, for sure. your trajectory is crazy. Your business is obviously growing at a rapid pace every single year. What are you doing to generate business? Uh, what did you maybe do when you started to generate 240K gross commissions? And what are you doing now? Yeah, so I started in August 2015. I was working at a car dealership. Uh, I was full-time. But I was kind of scaling back at that. And then they and then I was working on my real estate license too. So the first two or three months I was licensed in 2015, I think it was two months, I still had another job at a car dealership. They found out I was uh, selling homes or starting to sell homes on, on, the, on the side or so they thought. Um, tried to offer me an ultimatum to to stay there and quit real estate, and I was like, "Well, I'm not I'm not quitting real estate, and I'm not really ready to quit this job yet either. I still needed a paycheck, right?" So they 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 ended up um, offering me another position in the company. And long story short, kind of left on good terms, and I think it worked out perfectly because it kind of pushed me out where I, I really needed to, to make it work in real estate. Cause I think if I still had that fallback plan or that other job in the background, I might not have been quite as motivated. And when I started out, I didn't have like no money. I was pretty much like broke, like social media was popular, but it wasn't quite popular or just starting to become popular with real estate. And this was before like sponsored ads and boosted posts and, and that kind of stuff. So I, I quickly realized, I think that the, the opportunity there, and for me, it was like, it was just kind of like, didn't cost any money. It was kind of like free advertising. I didn't have a lot of listings to start out. So what I did was I did open houses like every single weekend for other agents in the office. So every weekend I was posting open house here, open house there. None of them were my listings, but I was, you know, trying to meet people, get my name out there. And I think like after like three or four months of that, like people started to be like, you know, wow, you're so busy and you got all this stuff happening. And like a general consumer doesn't understand that not every open house is your own listing and how all that kind of works. Right. So it, it wasn't like I was faking it, but I was, I was, I was intentional about staying active and about staying in front of people consistently. And I, and I have been, I've, I haven't taken a, sometimes as much as I'd want to take a high hiatus from social media, I haven't taken like a week, a week off in five, six years. Right. It's just been like consistent growing your following, staying engaged with them, um, you know, trying to come up with valuable, content and stuff like that real estate and otherwise and i and i think that that's been the biggest uh attribute to my success so far um is that coupled with the fact that i work in an area where i've lived for quite some time i've lived in this area in durham region since 1995 since basically since i was a kid and um, i have a lot of relationships people that i went to school with or worked with um, you know, friends of friends and that kind of stuff. So 
when I first started, I just wanted to try and have as many conversations with people about real estate as I could try and stay top of mind on social media. Cause I didn't have money for like bench ads and flyers and, and all this other stuff that you people think you need to be successful. I've never had a bench sign. I've never paid for a print ad in a magazine or a newspaper, like not once. Right. So I think that everybody, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but you know, if you've got a hundred thousand dollars to invest in all of that stuff and build up all this smart, that's great. But usually you don't. So you have to try and figure out. And usually the way to, to get started, I found for me was like doing the things that like other people didn't necessarily want to do. So you're, you're knocking on doors, you know, maybe you're doing the cold calling, you're doing the open houses every weekend when it's nice and sunny out and everybody's going to the beach or whatever they're doing and you're working, right? You have to kind of stay dedicated to that. And you have to like, it can't be too hard on yourself. I remember in my first like five months in, I started in August. So that first winter, things really died down. I had like nothing on the go. I was like, I got enough money to last me to like January, February of next year. Like I remember telling my dad, like, why did I, my dad's also a Keller Williams agent. I'm like, why did I switch over to this? I had a steady paycheck at this other job. Right. And he's just like, stay the course, stay the course. And like, I ended up like just door knocking, like doing all this lead generation because I had all this time on my hands, right? So I tried to dedicate as much of that. And over time, I started to get leads and then you start to get excited and then you get your first listing from door knocking and it's like, it gets you more motivated and it just kind of snowballed from there. But I, I really, um, it didn't happen. It, I think that the trajectory in the grand scheme of things, I sure I've came quite a ways in five years, but it certainly didn't happen overnight. And it certainly didn't just like the moment I got my real estate license, like my phone was ringing off the hook. Like nobody, they knew who I was if they knew who I was, but they didn't know me as a real estate agent. It took years of work and, you know, dedication and consistency to kind of, you know, grow that following, if you will, over time. Right. So as, awesome. of, right, as of right now, what does your lead generation look like? What, what do you do? Like when you wake up, and what does your right. day look like? So right now I, um, I try and it sounds cliche, but I try and only focus on the things that I enjoy. And I'll be honest, I never really enjoyed door knocking. I, you know, I did it cause I knew, okay, I've got to do these things right to get going. Um, so, uh, traditionally before this year, open houses was a big one. Um, so I was kind of curious. It's been interesting to see how I haven't done an open house since, since COVID, since early March, since all of this started happening. So I was a little bit unsure because in previous years, you know, a certain segment of my businesses came from open houses and I haven't, I haven't had that opportunity this year. Um, so I was kind of interested to see how that would kind of play out, but it hasn't really, I haven't personally noticed a huge hit from it. Um, you know, and in some ways it's nice to, I'm so used to like Saturday and Sunday, like two to four, you're out putting the signs out. And then it's like, it turns in, sure, the open house is only two to four. But by the time you're like advertising it and doing the signs and getting there and setting up, it's like a full day thing. And my weekends were just like work, work. And then you'd be showing before and after. So now it's every now and then I can get a Sunday off in the afternoon for a few hours. And that's nice. 
um, right? But this is this is five years in. Social media has been a massive one for me. Um, I don't I I don't really do cold calling. I don't really do I do farming in a way like, but mostly online through social media. So a lot of my like targeted ads are you know at a certain area that I focus a lot on where my lister listings are and where my buyers and sellers are are coming from. So not in the traditional sense. I don't do the do the farming or anything like that. But it's been mostly social media and a lot of referral and repeat business. I try and I try and make sure that every client that works with me like has like the best experience possible, you know, so that if a, they have a family or friend or somebody that has a real estate question, like I want them to be like, yeah, you know, he was awesome. He went above and beyond for me. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of thought that right from the get go, I was like, I you see I I would sell I would sell houses all the time where they'd work with a realtor three four five ten years ago, didn't have the best experience and I was like I don't want to like five years from now be looking up and see Joe's house for sale because I half asked it this time around you know what I mean I'm 33 years old I turn 34 next month I plan on doing this for a long time and you know I've realized like you know, you really want to go do a good job. You can work with a lot of different kinds of personalities and clients in the, in this business. And, and some, some clients need, how do I say this need a little bit more attention um, than others. And, and it's just about kind of recognizing those situations. And instead of getting like, you know, frustrated about it at times, you know, just kind of realizing that, and maybe you have to spend, you know, an extra few hours on the phone with them or, uh, you know, call and do this, that, or go over in person to explain this thing or, you know, whatever that case may be. Right. Um, you just, I always just try and go above and beyond and, and throughout the process, communication is, is key. And when you're, when you're going in and, and I'm, I'm about 60% listings, 40% buys. So I do go on a lot of listing consults and, there's no, and it's nobody's perfect, but it's in, in, in some markets, it can be pretty tricky to price some homes if they're more unique and it's now we're doing the list and hold strategy. So you're not, it makes it a little bit easier in some senses, but um, I always kind of try and take the approach of like under promise and over deliver. It's a, it's a kind of a fine balance and you're walking in you're pricing someone's largest asset usually they're meeting with other agents we're all kind of looking at the same information some of them might be telling them you know a really ambitious number others might be really cautious it's like trying to find that like in between where you know the you're as accurate as you can, but you, you're not like over promising, right? So you're like kind of sitting on the market and overpricing, right? So there's a lot, I kind of went off topic there a little bit, but um, I think that that's been, <laughs> been a huge um, learning curve, I guess, if you will, right? So can we go back a little, so I think people listening to this, they're gonna, a lot of them are gonna wanna learn how they can replicate what you're doing. I think everyone right. in this world would love to sell 70 houses a year. But I got out of it, it's social media referrals. Obviously to get referrals, you have to provide an outstanding experience. Absolutely. What do you do specifically? Um, and maybe we can break it down in the buy side and list side. Like say you, have, say you have a listing, what do you do to rock someone's world and give them the best listing experience ever? So it's, I think it starts from the first meeting and, and setting the expectations. You wanna set reasonable expectations 
Um, like it comes back, don't overpromise, right? Um, and I think that that's where it starts. Okay, because if you can set reasonable expectations and then exceed them, generally that's going to be a positive experience for the consumer, right? On the flip side, if you come in and you set the expectations too high, you could still crush it on that sale, but you've already set the expectations as high as they possibly could be. So even if you hit it or get close to it, it's like they're already expecting it. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of it comes back down to um, just having honest, real conversations. I usually like to walk sellers through my CMAs. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what a CMA is, comparative market analysis, like when you go through the home evaluation with them, I'm like, you know, well, here's your neighbor who sold here and here's this neighbor and here they had the finished basement and they had the walkout or they were 500 square feet bigger. So by the time we're even getting to the value or the price of their home, we're, they're already kind of expecting that number. You know what I mean? And do the you... one across... Sorry, go ahead. Do you tell them what you think it's worth or do you allow them to come to the conclusion themselves? I, I do, but it's kind of after walking, walking them through with, I would usually go through the three or four most recent com comparable sales. And then I yeah. say like, okay, hypothetically, if we go on the market today, what would be our competition and how do we fit into that competition? And I think that mm -hmm. that's almost more more important than ever i think right now when homes are selling yeah. in less than a week it's not necessarily about what sold two three weeks ago it's like what's on the market this week and what's my direct competition because you know there's going to be buyers that are like cycling through these homes and, and purchasing them um pretty quickly um but you know you want to know where you're kind of fitting into that picture if you can get your if your house goes up on a week where there's 10 townhouses in your town that are all in the same price and they're all doing offer night on monday and tuesday night that week you know, no one house is probably going to get 30, 20 offers. You know what I mean? It's going to be spread out more. But if you happen to luck out and get it, get in in a week where there's only one or two other hypothetical competitive, competitive products coming on the market, you might get an extra high sale on that week just because of the lack of competition that week. Right. And I always like, that's, you never know, like usually you're, I'm meeting with sellers a couple of weeks before we list. So we don't know what's exactly going to be on that market. But if they're like, I want $800,000 for my house and I can find a house that's as nice or nicer than their home at 800,000 and it hasn't sold yet. And it's been on the market for 30 days. Then I can be like, do you, you know, here's the example. They tried the 800,000. Would you not agree this is a comparable home? Yes. Do you see it's on the market 30 days? Yes. No seller wants to have their home, especially this year of any year, wants to have their home on the market for that, that amount of time, right? And I always say to a seller, if you have an option to sell your home for the same price in two or three days or to sell it for the same price in 30 days, which option do you think you're gonna choose? 99, every seller is gonna choose the two days just for the convenience factor, right? Mm. Um, you know, And I think we can all agree that odds of you getting that same price 30 days later after being on the market, that's pretty generous to, to say that. It's very rare that that, that that happens, right? So I think that resonates with sellers and, I think, you know, just having realistic conversations with them. I've never been the type to like, 
just get my sign up and then try and call them to lower the price just to get the listing. I think that's more frustrating than anything. When my sign's up out front, I want a sold sign going up pretty quickly. You know what I mean? So um, a lot of it comes back to that. And to go back to the social media, I've been found it really powerful to leverage the exposure that you can get on these videos and photos and these targeted ads. Um, as you guys know, there's a huge uh, segment of the market, like what we what I call like passive passive buyers. They're you know either they're in a home and they're comfortable there, but if the right home came up, they could be interested. They're not on MLS looking every day, but they're on Instagram, they're on Facebook. So I think there's a huge opportunity to reach that passive buyer market. And to take it one step further, you can't advertise coming soon on MLS. You can't do it. There's no coming soon option. You either you can put a sign out front, but what if you're on a quiet street that doesn't have a lot of traffic there, right? So I, I, it, it gives you a, a, a pre-marketing platform to really generate a buzz around the property. And then it gives this the consumer or the seller in this, in this case, the opportunity to see tangible numbers Numbers. Okay, we've had 10,000 views in the first three days. And, you, you know, if, if a seller sees that, and they're not for some reason not getting showings, they can't, they're not going to be able to call you and say, hey, nobody's seeing my listing. You know what I mean? And, and not every agent can do that. I was actually talking with another agent this morning about it. And um, I think it's, you know, the same, the same two Facebook pages could spend the same ad spend, even on the same exact ad, but just depending on the engagement and the following, they could have two vastly different, different results, right? I've spent years building this, this following um, so that I can, you know, the money that I spend will go further than, than maybe a newer Facebook real estate page that doesn't have as much of a engagement or likes or following, right? Because you start with a, with a bigger platform. And what Facebook, I'm, I'm sure you guys have been watching this too, but it's really interesting. Um, Facebook kind of watches the ads. When you, when you go to boost a Facebook ad, it'll say, okay, your range is going to hit 800 to 2,500, for example, like that's your range. And you're like, come on, Facebook, how do you not know? You know everything, you know what I'm shopping for, you know what I'm, you know, what my favorite football team is. Like, how do you not know how many people this ad's gonna be? It's because they don't, they don't know how your ad's gonna resonate with your audience. And the best way I had it explained to me was that there's two kinds of posts. There's donkeys and there's unicorns. A donkey post is like 99% of social media posts, they kind of go up, you know, they get a little bit of following and then they kind of just fall back down the, the grid, right? And then every now and then you run into a unicorn, which for whatever reason, maybe it's the photo, it's the video, it's the way it's presented. For one reason or another, people really resonate and gravitate towards that ad. What Facebook will do is they'll take that same ad spend on a donkey ad. If they realize people aren't really engaging and staying on your platform, your ad spend will burn up significantly quicker than it will on an effective uh, Facebook ad that's getting more engagement and following. It'll actually slow your ad spend down. So I've seen like, for example, like I've noticed with like country properties, like with like big, beautiful lots or uh, properties with like pools or sometimes like luxury homes, um, these kind of like eye grabbing 
or unique, maybe even a tiny home. Sometimes those tiny home ads can just go nuts online. And you're just like, why is like, why is this one doing so much better than that one? Right. And if you watch these and, 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 and you kind of try and you can sometimes try and figure them out pretty quickly, and then you can double down or triple down if your ad's doing really well, you know, cause I don't think there's any better ROI than a well-run uh, successful social media campaign. You're just not going to beat it. You know, I, you could spend, I don't know how much flyers cost, but you could buy 5,000 flyers. I'm sure that probably cost you 500, $1,000 and maybe 300 of them get seen. And maybe you get one or two calls from that. And it's like, if you spend that same budget on a social media ad with a video, which is a much more engaging medium, it's going to resonate much, uh, much more effectively with the audience. And you can see how long they've watched it for. They can comment, they can message you directly on that platform. It just kind of streamlines the whole process and makes it much more effective. And I, I don't know, I've always thought like, what if I got into real estate like 20 years ago before social media, the internet, MLS was a book you know, how, how would you become a rising star? And I, I don't know, other than knocking on like a million doors, I can't think of how you would have done it or maybe print ads. Right. But I think that there's an opportunity now for, if you're a younger realtor watching this podcast and you're thinking like, you know, I want to take my business to the next level, or maybe you're not even in real estate and you're thinking of pursuing this career. Um, I think that social media has kind of created an opportunity for people to get where they want to go quicker. And you can look around at plenty of examples online in Keller Williams and other brokerages of people that have kind of built that blueprint. And you can just try and you want to be authentic to yourself. You don't want to take someone else's like brand and personality and try and spin it off as your own, but you can kind of take that template and kind of figure it out and, and reach out to these people. A lot of people I know within Keller Williams, you can just reach out to them. If you have a question, what do you think about this? You know, what have you learned about this? Like we're very open about that. And that's something I did a lot in my first year or two. And I still do a lot to this day. Oh, what did you do specific? Sorry, we both want to just pepper you with questions. It's right okay, now. You, okay. Go, you go for it. Oh, yeah, I was just wondering what specifically do you do to build such a big and loyal following? Like what, what action steps can someone that's new getting in the business take to replicate what you've done? Right, right. So I think one of the first things I did when I got my real estate license, I think I, I didn't really use Facebook that much. And I barely had Instagram. I didn't really do anything on social media. Um, I only had a few hundred Facebook friends. So I went through and I just kind of started like, like adding all my mutual friends, people that I went to school with, people that I went to work with, you know, people that I haven't necessarily reached out and talked to in a long time. And I didn't add them and say, blow them up and say, Hey, you want to buy or sell a house or this, that, or the other. But I just started reaching out to them and just and just kind of engaging in like regular, you know, if they just got a dog, like, oh, I love your dog. What's his name? Like just like everyday stuff that literally has nothing to do with real estate. And that's like the, the first thing. Like if you come in like a pushy salesman, we've all been in the store before and you just kind of want to look at something and you get the sale, like he's right up on you and you know they want to make a sale. And I think that kind of puts people's 
kind of backs up against the wall, I've always wanted to stay as far away from that as possible. And even when I door knocked, the first thing I'd say to people is I'm not here to sell you anything. And they'd, and nine times out of 10, they'd laugh and they'd say, okay, good. Right. And uh, so like, it was all about kind of breaking the ice with that. And even now still, I know we work in sales and we are sales representatives. It's still to me more of a relationship game than, than a selling game. Right. I think that, um, you know, selling yourself is, is more, you know, the first step to get any listing, you got to sell yourself and you're not going to be able to do that unless you can kind of come across in a, an authentic way and kind of get people to kind of relate and trust you. Right. I think that in this business, I think if, if you can get an agent or you can get a client to trust you and they like you, like that's, that's it. You're 99% there. They could, you could be your best friend in the world, but if they, and this happens all the time, we see agents complain about like, Oh, my aunt just listed their house and they used another agent. They need to trust you because it's their largest asset. If, if they don't, you could be your best friend in the world, but if they think it's going to cost them money or they're not going to get the results or that they're not going to get that service that they're expecting, we've seen more often than not that they will go another direction. Right. So I think if you can, if they can trust you and they can like you, you know, cause it is at working with someone on the sale of their home, sometimes it's quick happens in a week. Sometimes it's months. And, and sometimes you feel like extended family members by the time it's over, you know what I mean? Um, maybe not in this year, but in previous years. Right. So it can be uh, you know, it can be a pretty um, emotionally, uh, it's an emotional transact transition for people and and your job is to kind of navigate them through that and it's something i like i just i never take lightly and it's still like it's it still gives me goosebumps to think when people are like okay there's seven thousand in my area there's seven thousand agents so every time someone chooses me i'm like i do not want to let them down you know what i mean so that's really what drives me at the end of the day um, this reminds me so much of the conversation that we had with Alex Hill. Um, he was another realtor that we interviewed on a previous episode yeah. and he, he grew up in Hamilton his whole life. Right. So people mm -hmm. have seen him as a child, seen him as a teenager, like seen him in his like wild years, whatever. And then now it's like the adult, the professional. So mm -hmm. if you can have like a lasting impression with someone from when you're a child to all those Absolutely. crazy years. And now Absolutely. you're the one representing them on the sale of their home. Like that's, <laughs> that's what you got to look at. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. The, the one thing I wanted to ask you too, is like how much time in a day do you say you actually spend on social media, like actively commenting? Is that something you time block? Is that something that you just do on your spare time? Like I'm actually interested to know. Yeah. So I think it's um, starting, I think it depends on the, on the week. Like if it's a week where I've got like three listings coming up, that's going to be a week that I'm probably on it a lot more than maybe another week where I have one or none listings coming up. So it can fluctuate. Um, I do work with a marketing team that helps with a lot of my Instagram stories, um, different posts and stuff like that. So if I'm with clients or shooting a listing or showing a house or doing something where I can't do this post at a certain time, I'll either have them assist me with it so they can, I can help better manage my time. I've been doing that for about three, three and a half years now. And it's really, really helped me. I still like to personally post all my listings. Maybe it's just my, I don't know. I just, 
so I just kind of like having control over the write up and I'm kind of like, I have a system and how I put the photos up and the video up and talk to me in 10 years, maybe that my thoughts on that will change. But right now I still very much enjoy being hands on with that, you know, broker uploading the listing and putting the photos in and Maybe I'm just weird, but I like getting up in the morning and like listing a house. I like, you know, I get like my coffee and I like get the photos and I go through and I like do the write up and I, you know, try and make it as good as I possibly can. And I think that, um, you know, I, it's a slippery slope with letting, you know, it's, it's okay to get assistance with it, but you, you can't have it come off as disingenuous. And I learned that in the first year I started working with a company, I had a post um, just like a general social media, you know, shot of myself. I can't remember even what it was about, but there was a description where the media company just wrote something for me. And I had, I had a couple people messaging me like, was that you writing that? It didn't really sound like something you would say. <laughs> I was like, no, you know, that was, so I was like, okay, well, you know, within re if it's just like a listing write up and they're like kind of tweaking it a little bit, that's okay. If it's, you know, like I did a post during the midst of COVID about just kind of everything that's going on. If you have any questions, we're here from you. We're here for you. Like that kind of stuff. And like with, with those kind of posts, like, I think you really, you want to write those yourself. Or if you're on a big team, you want to have somebody on your team, write it and run it by you. Cause if it's coming through your platform, it's being spoken like essentially in your voice on your platform. It's, it's, it's yourself. It's a reflection of yourself. So you want to be cautious of how that looks, how, how you're being portrayed um, and that kind of thing. Right. In terms of checking my phone here. All good. <laughs> yeah. We're all good. Awesome. You, um, it sounds like you have a lot on your plate. Like I, you were mentioning <laughs> how you broker load your listings. I was joking with someone a couple of weeks ago. I've never done that before. Really? If I had to broker load my own listings, I'd be out of business. I don't have a clue how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to oh, teach me sometime. I, I, I'd still do that because I don't mind it. I actually like, I enjoy it. It only takes like 30 minutes. It's not that bad. And, and I just like, I'm very like, I don't know, maybe it's just me. If I was selling 5,000 homes a year, there's no way I could be this OCD with it. But I just like, I have a system and like how the photos go up and like which photos to use. And like, I don't know, I'm very, <laughs> we all see listings online and they don't have the best photos or the write-ups like really like tacky. And you're just like, oh, I don't know, you know, and, <laughs> but I just, I never want to be on the other side of that. Right. So I just, it's something I do enjoy. One thing, stuff that I hate is like DocuSign and eSign and fall tour and all this like stuff that hap has to happen behind the scenes. So I don't do any of that. Like, it's funny. I, I would struggle right now if I had to send you something for eSign. Yeah. That's how much you have I buy on my ad system working with you. I do. Yeah. You have an admin. Yeah. Yeah. So she does it all. And then every now and then it'll be like a late night offer when I can't get a hold of her or something. And I'll be like, damn, I got to figure this out myself, you know? And it's like, oh, she doesn't like 10 minutes. For me, it's like an hour. I'm like, this is a nightmare. You know what I mean? So I just try and focus on what I'm good at and what's like the most effective use of my time. There is definitely some stuff that I could, um, you know, put off or outsource to, to some other parties. And I, you know, planning on working on that moving forward. Um, but I just think, 
you know, right now I'm, I'm just like young. I don't mind working at like long hours and, and just grinding it out. Cause you know, I'm, I'm working for the future. Right. So mm-hmm. 33 right now, keep doing this, you know, and set ourselves up for maybe when we're, when we're in our forties and stuff, we can just, uh, you know, not, I don't want to say sit back, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Not have to grind. What are you, uh, right? so if you keep grinding this hard, I imagine at some point there's going to be too much business for you as an individual to handle. What's the next already, yeah, I'm already, um, okay. I'm already getting there. I was about to do my first hire. Um, well, not my first hire. Cause I do have an assistant, but like, my first, like, you know, I guess full first hire full on, like not kind of as needed. My admin's fantastic. If I need her 20, 30 hours, 40 hours a week, like she'll usually be there. Um, but you know, if, if I don't need her that much, like I'm not, there's no overhead with that. Right. So during COVID it was like, kind of like a blessing that way. I didn't have, you know, all this crazy overhead that was like bearing me down. I was, I was kind of joked that I built my, built my business to be recession proof, but it was more though that I built my business just to be like, I don't want to be broke again proof. So, you know, I just, so do you plan on building out a team as it does become too much? I think think you hit the nail on the head when I think you said you can only do so much as, as an individual. I think I'm pretty close to at that point right now. Um, but you know, it's hard cause it's like, I, it takes time to like hire and train and, and fulfill those positions. And it's like the times you need them, you're too busy to train it. And then the times that you get that downtime, it's like, you know, do I want to bring on more people right now? Right. So I was about to do my first like hire right in March and then COVID hit. And I was like, well, this doesn't really make sense. Like our office just shut down. I don't really have a place for you to work from. Um, You know, I don't really have any listings right now. So maybe, you know, and now I'm like ready, like three months ago, like two months ago to do that. But it's just been like, go, 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 go. I've had like no time to like, you know, put a plan in place and, and, and kind of like, you know, I want to, if I bring someone on, I want to have be able to give them direction and have, you know, I don't want to be just like sending them curveballs every 20 minutes, like this, that, the other, like, I want to, you know, I, I want them to not hate me and stay working for me for a while. Right. So mm-hmm. I think the plan is that this, uh, December, when we get a bit of a downtime to try and, uh, yeah, figure out what 2021 is going to look like. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know in the near future there's an add-on and a growing and and that kind of stuff right I've just always kind of I probably could have started a team like three years ago but I was never really like in a rush to do it just because I always felt like you know I felt I feel like even though I'm an individual right now I'm still I'm still working on a team it's just you know my stager my administrative assistant my cleaners my videographer you know they're just all you know I've on con- on con- they're not on contract they're on like I guess what's the word I'd be looking for I just pay them on demand know, I, yeah on demand right <laughs> so it's like but that's kind of how I set it up because I didn't when I every year in real estate you start over at zero again and if I were to try and think of like I think now I'm like starting to realize okay you know even in this year you're you'd probably do 70 houses this so I'm like okay it's safe to say like I should be able to do 60 70 you know, through pandemic, I can do that any year. So it's starting to, but in my first year, I was like, I don't know, did I just get lucky? Was that just like, 
I started like the multiple bidding wars. Every house was selling and mul- for the first two years of my career, every listing I had multiple offers on off- offer night. So then 17 hit my first listing. We had offer night, didn't get offers. And I was like, what the heck do I do now? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, what do you mean? We actually have to like do a full CMA and like, if a house is worth 535, you've got to list it at 535. You can't list it at 499 or 450 and hold offers. Like that changed the game, you know? And then, you know, trying to sell those houses. And and I felt like the negotiation really kind of came back in because it was like, it, it's one thing when you have 15 offers and you throw 10 aside and you say, here's the best five, come back and you squeeze you know, like, I don't want to say anybody can do that, but it's not, it doesn't take an incredible amount of skill, maybe to navigate through it effectively, it would, but um, not as much. I found like in 18 and 19, when the average days on market, I don't know what it was like where you guys, but it was like 24 days here. It was like, you know, so you'd have lots of listings that I'd have on the market three weeks, op- doing six open houses there. Um, you know, I know they're cats, first name basis like I'm like ready to sell this like house and like you know what I mean so it's just it's been a whirlwind and it's just constant adjusting and it was with real estate in general whether it's on social media like I'm constantly like trying new things and like does this work does that not work um you know and then you're you're also watching none of us are completely original and doing anything that's never been done before in any facet anywhere you know i think anything that anybody does these days has been done in some way shape or form by someone else before and i think that you can learn from that and i think that you know like you can try and apply certain aspects of that to your own business figure out what works for you and and kind of go with it right Uh, on that note nate what's uh maybe like one source either like a book a podcast uh someone that you watch that you that really inspires you that has really helped you kind of get to where you're at right now um so i like to listen to gary vaynerchuk a lot even though he's not necessarily real estate uh directly real estate related i like that like his idea of like entrepreneurship and and like running a business and that kind of stuff so i like listening to a lot of business podcasts i think that in this career, it's easy to get forget it's a business at the end of the day. Like we're all realtors, but we're business owners. And, you know, I think we try and get a lot of people get caught up in the in the GCI and the awards and and that's all great. But if you're spending too much money, if you're spending more than you're making, you're there's not enough net there, you're not running an effective business, um, that's gonna catch up with you. And you know, it's sure it's great to win awards and stuff, but at the end of the day, like I'm in this to, you know, Keller Williams is live a life by design. I wanna like design my dream life and and get after it and do what I need to do to to reach those goals, right? And uh, so definitely a lot of business podcasts. Um, I've been listening to you guys the last little while here, enjoying a lot of your content because I like to listen to other success stories like within Ontario and stuff like that. Um, and then as well, I've not I've been doing a lot of um, um, networking. So we're in. The, I was recognized as one of the top 100 Keller Williams agents in, in the company. So in North America. Um, so there was, I think, three Canadians on that list. Um, so we met in Mega Can or at 
family reunion before COVID, we had like our first, and they'd never done an individual agent mastermind before. So this is a first. And so we had that first meeting and then we've actually been doing, and Gary Keller himself was there and Jay Papazon is there. And so it's like me, I'm like, I don't know, like these are people like, they're like superheroes, not in a way it sounds cliche or corny, but it was like, I never thought I'd be in like a room with like Gary Keller in my like fourth year in the business or fifth year in the business. Right. So it's just kind of crazy. But so I've been, um, we've been doing a lot of networking on that. So I love, I think that we can learn a lot from even the agents, even though their real estate transaction process is there is some significant differences in the process. I think that a lot, like we have a lot that we can learn from, from those agents too, and what they've kind of been through. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I like to find motivation from a lot of different sources. Right. So, um, you know, I'm a huge sports fan too. So I don't know about you guys, but if you watch that Michael Jordan documentary, did you guys see that? Like the last like even yeah. like I'm I have nothing to do with basketball, but that motivated me for real estate. Like just seeing the way like he set goals and just went after it and was just like so dedicated and maybe it was a bit more savage than you need to be in in the real estate game. But uh, but I remember like even just stuff like that. Like I like to find inspiration kind of from outside of the box. Doesn't necessarily have to be Ryan Serhan a million dollar listing. I just like to find people who are really passionate about their craft. And, and found a way um, to kind of find success in, in, in their own way, right? So I think that sums up essentially what we're looking to do. This is the reason we started this podcast. We want to be in touch with people that are doing this at a high level and inspire ourselves and inspire whoever's listening. So um, before we let you go, I know we're uh, almost out of time here. The one question that we ask all of our guests is, who do you know that we should know that we should have on this podcast? Who do you know that we should know? Do you guys um, do you guys know Travis Bugner? No, I don't think so. No. Um, so he's he's a buddy of mine. He's at Keller Williams Energy. He, I, I would suggest having him on. He's fantastic. I think his team was number one in Canada last year. And he's been in it a year or two longer than I have. I think he's in his mid-30s. I think he'd be a, a good candidate to have on here. I'm trying to think of, have you had Michael McDougall yet? Not yet. Love Michael though. Love Michael, him. I think Michael would be a great, he'd be another good one to have on here. Um, let me see. Is it, is it just like realtors or do you have like other people too? Like, or is it the idea is like a real estate podcast? It's a, it's a real estate podcast, mm-hmm. but sales and business are real yeah. estate. So you anyone know, that kind of fits into that frame. Yeah. You know who you guys would actually probably be an awesome guest for you too is Ian. Do you know Ian Zabo? No. Yes. He's an investor out your way, isn't he? So he's a, he's a realtor at Keller Williams Energy at our brokerage. And he's also an investor and like, like big time investor. And he's, and he's all, he's an author too. He did uh, Renos to Riches. So he's like, he's like your version of Mark Loeffler. And I actually think he's really cool. Basically. (laughs) He's like super, (laughs) super knowledgeable guy. And like, and like his book's fantastic. Like, so if you, if, I think he'd, and he'd be a, he'd be a great guest. He's like really easy going. I think he'd be a fun guest to have on. So I'd say, I'd say those three probably from our area would probably be good to have on next. And uh, awesome. Yeah. Okay. We're going to shoot you an email asking for uh, contact 